This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is House Agriculture Chair Colin Peterson. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Bayer promotes responsible environmental stewardship. Bayer is part of Growing Matters, an industry-wide effort that launched the Be Sure Stewardship Initiative this spring. Visit growingmatters.org slash be sure for more information on product stewardship. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Minnesota 7th District Congressman and House Ag Chair Colin Peterson next. Deciding how to manage weeds, insects, and diseases that routinely attack their crops is just one of many decisions farmers must make each season. Protecting bees and other wildlife is a major part of responsible stewardship and why Bayer is part of Growing Matters, an industry-wide effort that launched the BeSure Stewardship Initiative this spring. Through BeSure, Growing Matters reminds farmers and applicators this season to use treated seed responsibly and follow the label to protect bees and other wildlife. Visit growingmatters.org slash BeSure for more information on product stewardship. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The midterm election results shifted leadership of the House to the Democratic side of the aisle. And with that, Minnesota 7th District Representative Colin Peterson returns as chairman of the House Ag Committee. Peterson is just back from a trip to Central and South America. He says Argentine farmers are not pleased with their government, while Brazilian farmers are adjusting to new leadership under President Jair Bolsonaro. Now they call him the Trump of South America. He said that they're, you know, they're trying to sell more stuff to China, but they're not going to sell Brazil to China. Uh, he's not out encouraging a lot of Chinese investment, and that's one of the things I was concerned about because when I was down there 10 years ago, they were talking about uh, Chinese uh, investing $20 billion so they could build new roads, new infrastructure. This new president is talking about $17 billion for infrastructure, and the way he says he's going to come up with it is through private financing. But uh, he said he wasn't going to exclude China completely, but he wasn't going to really uh, expect them to put much into it. So how realistic that is, I'm not sure. The long and short of it is they still have a huge problem down there in terms of infrastructure and getting their crop out of the country. They've made some progress. They built one road to the north uh, up to a river, and then the private sector built uh, port and uh, bought barges and so forth. They have another road that they're trying to finish, but they've still got 60 kilometers that haven't been paved. And, you know, it costs us about $60 a ton to export soybeans, and it costs them $125 a ton. So we're still uh, seeing a significant advantage in terms of transportation. Uh, and the other thing I learned in Brazil is that we need that uh, differential because when I was down there before, they were uh, double cropping in Mata Grossa, but they were double cropping corn, and they were only getting about 75 bushel yield on that second crop of corn after soybeans. Now they are double cropping more cotton than they are corn because of uh, new yields, varieties, technology and so forth and they're getting four to five bale per acre cotton on the second crop and they're getting 60 to 70 bushels soybeans they've increased their corn yields when they're using 
corn is the second crop uh, to 160, 170 bushels a, uh, an acre uh, compared to 75 before. So you can see that if you got you know, people in the U.S. That tell them they're going to have a 70 bushel uh, soybean crop and a five bale cotton crop, they would think they died and gone to heaven. So, um, so we're having, you know still facing significant disparities in what we can produce. But they have not made a whole lot of progress on infrastructure, and frankly, it doesn't look like they're going to either. So then thinking of infrastructure, we have proven that Argentina and Brazil can produce, the U.S. can produce. They need infrastructure, and ours is failing. A meeting at the White House this past week between Ms. Pelosi, Mr. Schumer, and President Trump, and they walked away with an idea of a $2 trillion investment uh, in infrastructure. Is it needed, and how do we pay for it? It is needed. There's no question about that. And uh, one of the things that I would move to the top of the agenda right now, if we can get some significant money, is to fix up once and for all the locks and dams on the Mississippi. That would be the best thing we can do to ensure the future for agriculture. And we have a, you know, I think we could easily spend $2 trillion on uh, infrastructure in this country, you know, all the different aspects of it. But I don't see where the money's going to come from. You know, I don't think the Republicans are not going to raise taxes. You know, people like me are not going to borrow $2 trillion. You know, we already got a $23 trillion deficit, and there's no way we can add to that. So, you know, I think they apparently had a good meeting at the White House. They came together, but um, the the folks that are on the uh, inside on this deal uh, are very skeptical about whether this can actually happen or not. People are telling me they think it'll it probably won't happen this Congress. Okay, so now that you're back from South America and you're looking at our competition and knowing that we have a failing infrastructure system, what happens if we don't spend some money on this infrastructure plan? Well, I think it's a big problem. And in the case of the locks and dams, I think we could raise that money by having the users come up with it. And I think the users of the system would be willing to finance it. You know, so... How you come up with this other money, you know, I support a highway gas tax. We haven't had one since 92. The increase, um, you know, I'd be willing to do something in that regard. But I, you know, being told by the Republicans and, uh, and the Senate, the Republicans, that that's a non-starter. So I don't know. I don't know how you work this out. But if, if we don't do it, we're going to pay the price, too. That's that's no question about that. Let's shift to trade for just a second. Uh, USMCA at some point is coming before the Congress. The tariffs are still in place on steel and aluminum from Mexico and from Canada. Even if they were out of the way, how close is this vote? And what does it take to win a majority of Democrats in the House? I don't think we know the answer to that. Uh, I can tell you this, that if the um, tariffs are still in place, that it's dead in the water. It's not going anyplace. So that's the first thing that's got to happen. Um, I'm hearing a lot of pushback from Democrats. So I'm supporting it. Uh, I've been supporting it from the time it was announced. And I'm doing what I can to uh, try to bring along some of the ag people on the Democratic side, you know, the ones we have. But I'm being told by uh, people on the committee on the Democratic side that they would be surprised if it makes it through this Congress. Are there changes that it would need to succeed, and do you think we could reopen the negotiations to get those changes that uh, the majority would would need? I don't know. I mean, I've, I'm not on that committee. I think I'm uh, being told it can't be reopened. 
So that's what the administration says. You know, I think the tariffs, as I said, have to come off, but I've heard the administration say, well, they, they might have a deal with China, but leave the tariffs on. So I don't know. It's um, problematic, I think, and, and whether it can get done, I don't think anybody can answer that question right now. At the time that folks are hearing our conversation, the Chinese are back in the U.S. for this second uh, round of uh, negotiations here lately. How important to get this China deal done, and what happens if it doesn't? Well, I think it's it would be, it would be good to get this thing out of the way, uh, as long as it's not a bad deal for agriculture. Uh, I've been a hard it's hard for me to see much upside for agriculture out of what what's going on with China, but obviously the current situation is bad for agriculture as well. So, I you know it it um, sooner the better. We, uh, but for the life of me, I cannot figure out what's going on. Now, I've met with all the people, heard all the talk, and, and I cannot figure out what they're up to or what the timeline might be. Every time we, we hear, well, it's getting close and it's looking good, and then every two weeks it's another two weeks and another two weeks. and I don't know. It's just hard to say what's going on with this thing. Mr. Chairman, if I look across the country and listen to different commodities, uh, Senator Roberts says we're in a rough patch and it's gone on for some time. Commodity prices low, surpluses are up, and there's some real challenge. The Trump administration says there won't be any MFP payments for 2019. Do you see a situation where Congress may have to come to the aid of producers, or are we going to have to count on the new farm bill being adequate to cover their needs? Well, I don't think we know at this point. I agree with Senator Roberts. I think we're heading for a bad patch. Uh, some people are already in it, but I'm worried about uh, what's going to happen next winter? If you know, right up up in our part of the world, we're not getting a good start to this crop year. Uh, we've got too much water. The ground is cold. Uh, we're going to be in late. So, you know, and I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to uh, turn around this low commodity price situation. So, I'm worried about it. But you know, I don't know where you get the money to uh, make any significant changes in the farm bill. You know, probably a more immediate problem is getting this disaster bill busted loose. Uh, we got people in the South that aren't going to survive already because this thing has gone on too long. You know, we've got this grain bin situation in the Midwest that most of the stuff in the Midwest is covered by the farm bill already with different disaster programs, but the one thing that's not covered are grain bins uh, that have been damaged and we need to take a look at that, but um, I don't know. You know, again, we have a twenty-three trillion dollar deficit, and um, as much as I'd want to improve the farm bill, uh, you know, if we get into a really bad situation, I am going to be very hard pressed to um, add to the deficit to do it. You know, we nobody seems to care about the deficit anymore. Nobody, you know. Uh, <laughs> they pass. They introduce all these bills, and uh, there's no way to pay for them. They do tax cuts that aren't paid for. We've got to stop this. At the same time, this disaster legislation, obviously there's need, but at the same time, the issue doesn't appear to be in the House. It appears more in the Senate. It's Is it out of your hands, or is there anything that the House leadership can do to help to bridge the gap? <laughs> They've been passing bills after bills. As I understand it, we're going to have another disaster bill on the House floor next week. Uh, I think we've passed two already over in the House when the Senate hasn't passed any. And I don't see that what we're doing is 
getting any place over the Senate. So I don't know what you, uh, you know. It's a it's a problem over there. How you get this thing busted loose, I'm not sure, but it's um, it's a huge problem for some of these guys. That, uh, we have areas down there where they lost all their trees and the storm right in the middle of the, the worst time of, in the growing cycle. Uh, it got people in a lot of trouble, and uh, we should be doing something with that. But it's um, it's the Senate. <laughs> it's tied up over there. You know the job description very well for being chairman of the House Ag Committee, but you've got a lot of new faces, so after you've been on task for a little while how do you see the committee and what do you see before the committee here for the rest of this congress well we got our work done last congress we got the farm bill passed and so the only thing that actually has to be done is reauthorize the cftc which is basically non-controversial uh so the work that we need to do is oversight is uh implementation uh, watching the implementation of the farm bill so I'm taking this two years here to try to help the new members get up to speed and become more familiar with the issues that are before the committee. So I've decided to really not do anything at the full committee level. We're going to do everything in subcommittees. That helps these members have more exposure to the issues. When we have people coming in wanting to meet with me, I'm referring them to the subcommittee chairs and the other people on those subcommittees so that people meet other members of our committee besides myself. So I'm doing a concerted effort here to force this thing down to the member level and get these new members exposed to these issues so that in a couple of years they're uh, becoming experts on ag stuff. I don't know that there's a commodity that has suffered much more than dairy, and obviously that dairy policy, we're less than a month now of seeing uh, at least some effort toward that out of the new bill. Is the language that's in the 18 bill enough to help your producers, or is there some real attrition uh, regardless of what policy we have right now? I think it's enough. I expect in a year or two when people see what this actually is, uh, I expect to be criticized for uh, putting a program that's too good in place. The bigger problem we have right now is the negative attitude that people have uh, because of the MPP program and the way that it did not work. And so, you know, you've got a couple things going on. The department is uh, not uh, getting this thing ready to sign up until June, and that's not all their fault. A lot of that is the fault of the Senate, you know, putting in these refunds and other things into the bill, which I think were unnecessary and are holding everything up. And I've already had a couple guys run in, a couple guys that have quit, even though if they would hang on until June, they could sign up for the new program and, it's retroactive to the first of the year, and uh, I think you're already if you signed up for the top number, uh, you'd get about a $25,000 payment from the government over the first five months uh, for a 200-cow uh, dairy. So it'll work. Uh, this new program is designed to guarantee a certain amount of gross income, and I'm recommending to people sign up for 950, which is the maximum. Sign up all of your production and sign up for five years so you get the 25% discount. And that way you can lock in a gross income that is going to at least be break-even, maybe even a little bit better, depending on uh, how the feed cost is calculated and so forth. So I think for small producers, this is a program that will work. Uh, for the larger producers, uh, they, they can uh, access this for the first uh, 200 and 220 cows, uh, just like everybody can. 
but we now have crop insurance uh, that they can now purchase over and above the 220 cow level. Uh, so they're going to have a safety net they didn't have before. So I think, you know, I think we have a program now that will work uh, if people utilize it. But you got a lot of people fed up with the government, and I've had people tell me I'm not going to, I don't care what's in that program, I'm not going to do it because I'm sick of you guys. So we'll have to see how it all plays out. Mr. Chairman, we had uh, Congressman Costa, one of your subcommittee chairs on this program, and he said uh, the Green New Deal was an aspirational policy. Leave that to the side. It looks like climate change is going to capture more headlines as we head toward the 2020 race for the White House. From the climate change debate, are there areas where agriculture could fall victim? And is there opportunity for agriculture to be a part of the solution? Well, it's like any issue. Uh, there's negatives that come out of it, and there's probably positives that come out of it. It all depends on on what it is, how it's put together, uh, timelines, and so forth. So, again, it's uh, too early to tell uh, where this thing is heading. Uh, I can tell you that uh, nothing like the Green New Deal is going to go anyplace in the Senate. The bill that we had on the floor this week in the House was only a uh, non-binding resolution, so it doesn't do anything. Uh, so right now, nobody has actually put forward any policy that's going to actually change anything. Uh, you know, and you know, we're making progress. We've got some states like Minnesota where we moved to. You know, a good percentage of our um, electricity is now renewable. We've made progress with uh, ethanol and biodiesel over the years. So, you know, we've made progress with wind energy and so forth, but it all depends on how we uh, move ahead. If it's practical, it uh, can maybe do some good, but there's some things out there that are not practical, and uh, we'll just have to see how this plays out. It might move in the House, but... It's not going any place in the Senate, so this Congress, I don't think there's anything that's going to happen that's going to uh, change much. Is this a topic that will come up in the Ag Committee? Yeah, I think it will. Uh, Abigail Spanberger, who is a freshman from Virginia, who's uh, chair of the Conservation uh, Subcommittee, is talking about doing some hearings uh, in that regard. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what she's got in mind, but uh, we'll take a look at it. But I'd be surprised if we do anything, you know, Whatever we end up doing is going to take money, and we don't have any money, so uh, <laughs> it's going to limit what we can do. Mr. Chairman, two pieces of housekeeping, if I can, as we close. First of all, the uh, Secretary of Agriculture is talking about some relocation of government agencies. Does he have the authority to do that, and do you agree with his move? I don't know if he does or not. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, some people say he does. Some people say he doesn't. My sense is he's going to do it, and then we'll find out. There will be probably some kind of litigation so we'll see, but I just don't see the case for it myself. I don't get to why we're doing this or why he wants to do it, but he's going to go ahead with it from what I can tell, and we'll see what, what happens. Looks like the Department of Agriculture may be moving forward with some tighter uh, requirements or enforcing work requirements for nutrition. You've been down that road in the debate for the Farm Bill. Uh, if the USDA acts administratively, what happens from the Ag Committee? Well, Marsha Fudge has already taken after it. Uh, so I would say we'd have a strong majority in, uh, on the Democratic side that would be unhappy. There'll be litigation if they move on this. And I don't think that there's any chance that there's going to be anything like this happen anytime soon. You know, this is what killed the Farm Bill in 2013. 
it's what held the farm bill up for almost a year. This time, if they go ahead with these changes, uh, they're going to be litigated, and people tell me it'll be two to three years. I just don't know why they keep chasing this. We have work requirements. They've been in place since 96. The problem is we haven't made them effective. And so before we go off and expand this program, we should make sure that what we have is actually working. Mr. Chairman, I want to thank you for your time and spending with us. A lot of things are happening in the industry, and certainly you have a busy schedule. Thanks for being with us on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you've got the last word today. Uh, well, i just call my friends in agriculture to hang in there. We've got a lot of challenges from the uh, disastrous situation in the south and the midwest and the uh, late spring and uh, too much rain. But farmers are optimistic. Stay optimistic. Get in there when you can, and let's all hope that we have a good Our thanks to House Agriculture Committee Chairman Colin Peterson, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Bayer promotes responsible environmental stewardship, and Bayer is part of Growing Matters, an industry-wide effort that launched the Be Sure Stewardship Initiative this spring. Visit growingmatters.org slash be sure for more information on product stewardship. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.